Open your Bible this morning to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. And again, I want to thank you for being here today. Um, man, that song, uh, I feel like we could spend a lot of time on that today. Um, I'm not singing it. That's not going to happen. There's no way. Um, I mean, I will sing it down there with this off. Um, but when this is on, that's not going to happen. Although there apparently was a recording at one time, um, somebody in the sound booth, this is years ago, thought it'd be funny to, because they can turn my mic so that it doesn't come through the house speakers, but they can put it through headphones and hear it back there. And so, uh, they did that while we were singing congregationally one Sunday morning and, uh, apparently had quite a good laugh at that, um, I don't remember who was back there then, but I, I got to believe uh, Keith was probably involved, and I'm sure there was a handful of others that were plotting that to, for, for a long time. So, um, but no, I just, man, I think like sometimes we, we, we think about him being the great I am, and, and this is not my message or anything, but I just think about that like in our prayer lives, in my personal life, we, we know that's who he is, right? And we know that he is the great I am, and we, we believe that. But I, I, I know for me, sometimes in my prayer life, I'll get three or four lines into a prayer before I even really stop and think about who he really is. And to the point where I actually realize, wait, I'm praying about this thing. I'm worried about this thing. I'm frustrated about this thing. You're the great I am. The, the pre-existent one, the self-sustaining God. Do you know what that means, the great I am? He's always been and always will be. He's never come into creation. He's never been created. He will never cease to be. And he doesn't need anything or anyone to sustain himself. He is completely self-contained, self-existing God. He is the great I am. Not I was, not I'm going to be, but I am right now. I am who I am. And I love that God, throughout all of Scripture, never defended himself, right? God never defended himself. He never had to show us or prove to us who he really was. He would always start and end conversations like this. I am that I am. I am who I am. I am the God. I am your God. He just started off with the, the statement of fact, I am God. And when people would doubt that, he would just, okay. <laughs> you never read God trying to convince us. No, no, really, I need you to believe this because I really need you to believe that I'm God so I can be God. He's God, and he is the great I am. And we get to worship him this morning. We get to gather together as a body of Christ, in Christ, and worship the God that is self-existing, self-sustaining. We get to praise him, and we don't know him just as a God or the God. We know him as our heavenly father. There's a relationship there. I mean, that is an amazing reality. And what kills me is in my own life, how many times I let that relationship just lie idle. And I don't engage God. I don't really engage him like I should. I just let it kind of lay there. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about the other that we're, we're not called as followers of Christ, to make an emotionally charged resolution that would most likely fade away by March. We're called to be followers of Christ, to be a living sacrifice. We looked at Romans chapter 1, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and, and we unpacked what does that look like to be a living sacrifice. We discovered that, that we are compelled 
by the mercies of God to surrender our bodies, our minds, and our wills. To die to self, right? To realize that in Christ, Romans 6, I've already been, uh, my flesh has already been put to death. I'm dead to sin. But I make a choice in Christ to continually die to self. And I surrender my life. I live unto Christ. Die to self, live unto Christ. And how do I live unto Christ? I give him my body. By the way, your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price, the Bible says. You have been ransomed. You are a, a ransomed possession. That's, that's how God sees you. Amen. I mean, think about, we don't think of ourselves as a possession. Like that I'm possessed by someone or something. But God says, no, you are my ransomed possession. I, I've redeemed you. And I've sealed you into the day of redemption. You know what that means? When the purchase is finalized, because I'll be standing right in front of him. We are a ransom possession. So because our body is not our own, guess what? I don't get to just decide what I want to do with my body, and God has to be okay with that. Now, he gives us freedom to decide what we're going to do with our bodies, but as followers of Christ, we should be thinking, how can my body, my hands, my feet, my lips, my eyes, my ears, every part of me physically glorify him? How can my body be a glorifying member to him? Our minds. So many times we think Christianity is all emotional, no intellect. Nowhere in Scripture is that true. We've said it so many times, and I pray it's still true for you. Truth must lead emotion. Emotion will follow truth, and there's, there's nothing wrong with emotion. But, but Christianity is not first emotional, second intellectual. It is first intellectual. I must come to some conclusions, right? Romans 10 i got to understand some things about my state before God and what God did for me in offering Christ for me. Those are decisions I have to make intellectually. It's not just emotional. And a lot of times we focus heavy on emotion, but, but our minds must be surrendered to him. The way I think, and how do I think the way I should think? I allow the Holy Spirit to renew my mind. But also my will. I surrender my actual will to him. That means the things that I want to do today and tomorrow, I should be prayerfully considering, God, would this glorify you? Is this an opportunity you're giving me? How would you have me to live my day? And I love it to say it this way. We write all of our plans in pencil. Or if you were here last week, week, erasable ink, okay? If you have erasable ink pen, which I do. So you can be jealous. That's fine. I'm okay with that. You can envy that. I'll give you one if you're that envious of it. But... We write all of our plans in pencil. Why? We plan, we prepare, okay? We, we, we think about, okay, God, what would you want me to do today, tomorrow, this week? There's nothing wrong with having goals and being organized. And in fact, I believe God wants us to live that way. I don't think God wants us to go to every day saying, oh, I have no idea what I'm going to do today. God, good luck to you. Good luck to me. Let's go. I don't think that's how God would have us to live. We can have plans and organize and, and be thinking about what our day looks like. But then we say, God, but your will be done. So if my schedule is this and you decide to interrupt my schedule with something, I'm going to submit to that. And I'm going to follow where you lead. I need to be submitted in my will. See, when we do that, the reason we do that is because we really believe that he is the great I am. David Platt said it so well that, that to be a follower of Christ makes no sense until you realize who Christ is and that if he is the one who is calling you to follow him, it makes perfect sense to surrender and follow. Being a follower of Christ makes no sense unless you understand who it is that is calling you to follow. When Jesus says, follow me, and you realize the mercies of God that he has for you, it makes perfect sense to say, yeah, 
This, this is my reasonable service, Paul says in Romans chapter 12. This is my spiritual worship. And we can, we can come together, we can raise our hands, we can sing a song, we can worship, right? We can have all these expressions of worship. But the best spiritual worship we can offer our Heavenly Father through Christ is ourselves. Now, that's the greatest living sacrifice you can give him, greater than any time spent in church, any tithe check, any physical act we do for someone else to serve the needy or serve the poor. When we surrender ourselves to him, that's the greatest spiritual worship we can give him. So we've made the choice. We've decided, okay, twenty, the year 2020, I'm going to be a living sacrifice. I'm committed to him. I'm a follower of Christ. I desire to follow him. And once we make the choice to respond to the call to be that living sacrifice, comes what I believe is the hardest part of that whole journey. The hardest part. That's the title of the message this morning. Uh, last night, as I was kind of praying about where we would go this morning, and I think... I don't believe in jinxes, but if I did, I think I jinxed myself last week. Uh, some of you were here, and I said we kind of changed gears last week. And so this whole week, I, had, I, knew, I knew, okay, we're going to go here Sunday morning. This is what we're going to do, right? I mean, I've, we're going to do a PowerPoint. By the way, come back next week, there's a PowerPoint. Woohoo! Okay, we're going to do some cool high-tech stuff, right? I mean, the PowerPoint's not that high-tech. But anyway, had all this stuff planned out. And then, like, Friday's going on, and I'm looking at the weather. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Saturday's going on, and it's like, you know, snowpocalypse is coming, right? Like, we went to Walmart. Sandra and I went to Walmart 1.30 on Friday afternoon, okay? Now, it's usually somewhat busy at the Walmart in Lapeer. I'm not kidding you. It was like the Saturday before Christmas. It was packed. Now, there was milk and water and bread on the shelves, okay? It was fine. But it was so busy because everyone was getting amped up. Now, some of you are like, oh, that's so stupid how they do that. They get you all pumped up and nothing happens. Would you rather it go the other way? They don't tell you nothing. 75 feet of snow. Well, I didn't say, I mean, where was the newscasters on this one? Okay. I've come to find, as a culture, as a culture, we're never truly happy either way. You know the worst job, worst job in my mind in the winter? You're thinking, oh, plow truck driver, you know? Or, you know, someone out working outside. No, that's easy compared to this, okay? The guy whose job it is to decide whether or not there's school. And here's why. No matter what that person does, someone's mad at you. Well, it's kind of bad. We're going to cancel school on Facebook. I can't believe they can't. This is it's Michigan, blah, 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 blah. You have school. We're going to try it and have school. What are they doing having school? I can't believe the buses are on the road. My kid's going to die. Blah, 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 blah. Okay? I've realized as a culture, we are just, we're not content unless we're complaining. I really believe that's the case. Okay? We're always quick to criticize. We're always quick to kind of, quick to kind of look at someone and say, yeah, you can't, you can't. So what's the hardest part about making that commitment to be a living sacrifice? Some of you are thinking, where is he going with this? There's no way he's going to make the guy who cancels school in the winter and, and being a living sacrifice and not being hard. There's no way he's going to make that. You just can't. Those don't go together. Well, they're going to go together because here's what happens. You stand out for Christ. You commit to the Lord. I'm going to be a living sacrifice in 2020. And then the voices come. The criticism comes. We think the hardest part is following through on being a living sacrifice. Now, let's be honest. Let's be honest. 
when I make a commitment to be a living sacrifice for Christ in Christ, it is hard because my flesh is weak, right? Is that fair? You guys think that's fair? I think it's fair. We, we want to be a living sacrifice. We desire it. We commit to it. And then my flesh starts kind of rising up. Temptation rises up, right? Opportunities to give into that flesh rises up. And we, it is difficult to live it out practically. But here's the beauty of that. If you're doing it in Christ with the empowering and the equipping of the Holy Spirit, dedicating your time to him and his word through prayer and study, guess what? It doesn't become easy, but it becomes easier. But when we ignore the word of God and we ignore gathering together with the body of Christ and we think it's got to be this way or that way and we kind of ignore these things in our lives, then it becomes very difficult to follow through on that commitment. But let me ask you a question. Do you think God is in heaven going, okay, I see, I'm just going to pick on Wesley for a second because he smiled and I don't know, it just, first person I caught my eye with, okay? I don't know if this is true of Wesley or not. I don't think it is. But let's say Wesley decides, you know what, I'm going to commit my life to Christ. I believe that's true. I don't think he's sitting there going like, I don't want nothing to do with Jesus, okay? I think he loves the Lord. But he commits to Christ. I'm going to be a living sacrifice, okay? In 2020, I'm going to walk with the Lord. I don't think God's in heaven going, Wesley, that's not going to happen. I'm going to make this as hard as possible for Wesley to follow me. I'm going to make this so difficult for Wesley to be committed. I'm going to, man, I'm going to make it so difficult because I really, you know, I, I just don't think he can do it. No, I don't think that's how God works. I think God is overjoyed when we say before him and we lay before him a desire to say, I want to be committed to you. And I think he says, man, I'm so excited and I'm overjoyed and I'm happy and I'm going to begin to work in and through Wesley's life that I can, I can use this surrender to make him into the image and person of Christ, to make him like Christ. I think that's what God gets excited about. Now, does that mean difficulties don't come? Of course difficulties come. Challenges come. We said it last week. Sometimes God refines us in ways that we don't think are the best ways, but they're the best ways according to his will. See, that's, that's hard. It's hard to follow through. But I think harder than that is when you start living for Christ and you're committed to him and you're desiring to be that living sacrifice, and then people start to question your commitment to Christ. People start to question whether you really are committed, whether you really could be committed, whether God would really even desire you to do that because of who you are. There will be those that don't believe we are really committed to Christ. Maybe because of our past, because of our lack of growth as they see it in a certain area of our Christian life. We're just not as mature in a certain area as they think we should be at this point. So they start to challenge us and and question us and maybe we're not really committed to Christ our past, you know, I mean, look who you used to be. Could you really be that committed to Christ now? Maybe it's because you struggle in a certain area and you're praying for victory over that. And as you're working that out, people will see that and say, well, yeah, but if you were really committed to Christ, you wouldn't struggle with this or that. Whatever the reason, when you commit to Christ, you can know for a fact there will be those who will encourage you, yes, but there'll also be those who try to challenge you and question whether you really are committed So I want to look at a verse, kind of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about for our next little bit this morning. Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. We're picking up in a very familiar passage of Scripture, a very familiar story. Uh, Here we see the Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul, is converted unto the Lord. He becomes a follower of Christ and And uh, what an amazing story that is. So I encourage you to read all of Acts chapter 9 and see that Damascus Road encounter, as it's been called. But we're going to pick it up in verse 26. So Paul escapes to Jerusalem. says here, and when Saul, who is Paul, but when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he 
was a disciple. He desired to join himself with the disciples. He, he wanted to associate with them and connect with them. And it says, and they were afraid of him and believed not he was a disciple. Now we know when you read this, that they have good reason for doubt. Of course they did. This guy was on his way to Damascus for what purpose? To, to take Christians, believers, captive. So it's not like he has been a great example of Christian faith. I mean, he's been the greatest persecutor of the Christian faith. He's been adamant about arresting Christians and putting them in chains. And, and he even oversaw, many of us know, the, steving, or the stoning of Stephen. He was okay with that. So he shows up now claiming to be a Christian, and some of the disciples are like, I just don't know. I don't believe he's really a follower of Christ. And if you read the text, it's not really until Barnabas stands with Paul that the disciples begin to believe his conversion. Also, Paul immediately begins to show fruit of his faith. And so they begin to believe more and more, okay, he really is a follower of Christ. But let's really be honest here. When you read the epistles and you read what really happens even in churches that Paul himself establishes, you're going to find out even in Corinthians that they were challenging his apostleship, challenging his authority. Who is Paul that we should listen to him anyway? So he starts off with, he receives Christ, everything's great, and he's excited. He goes to the one group of people that should be encouraging the disciples, and they're like, we just don't really know. Barnabas stands with him, and he begins to produce fruit. And be, Okay, now we see this, but even as he's doing what God has called him to do, planning churches and preaching the gospel, people in the very churches that he planted are starting to say, you know, I just don't know if we should really listen to him. I don't know if he really walks with the Lord. I mean, who is Paul anyway that he should teach us? Paul's the greatest Christian missionary we've ever read of, and yet even people in his day and age were challenging and questioning his sincerity and his commitment to Christ. So when that happens in our lives, when we find that happening in our lives, how can we respond when others doubt your commitment to Christ? How can we respond when others doubt your commitment to Christ? This is different for me to preach with paper, handwritten notes, okay? So if you're wondering, what's he keep doing up there? You're used to me doing this, okay? We're going old school, okay? We used pen and paper. So for the kids, that's possible. You can still write, okay? You don't need to type, okay? It's, it's possible to write. But how do we respond? I really thought that joke was going to get more laughs. I just, I don't know what's happening there. Okay, so anyway, how do we respond when, when people criticize our commitment to Christ, when people challenge our very sincerity with Christ, how do we respond? We've made the commitment, or we're desiring to make the commitment. How do we respond when people will challenge us and criticize us? And so the first thing I want to encourage you to do if you're taking notes is we need to look in the mirror. The first thing we need to do when somebody starts challenging our commitment to Christ, and are we really sincere, we need to look in the mirror. You might say, what do you mean by that? We need to spend some time doing a self-check. We need to do a little self-evaluation. We need to really look in the mirror and ask a couple simple questions. Number one, are they right? See, some of us don't even want to entertain that thought. Start with the very basics. Do you really know Christ? Do you know the gospel? Have you received Christ for yourself? If you say, yes, I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved. Well, then, okay, are you really committed to Christ? Not just with lip service, but truly desire to live for him and his glory. So many times when people start to challenge us, and I'm, I'm, it usually doesn't come in a public ski, uh, setting. It usually comes one-on-one -on -one or in small groups or you hear something, okay? When you hear those criticisms of, you know, man, I really don't know if they're walking with Christ. And by the way, this happens a lot in life in general. 
right? You desire to be the husband you're supposed to be, and criticism will come. Well, I know, but you're still kind of, you know, and they point out our faults and our failures. I want to be the wife I need to be. Well, yeah, but you're still not really. Now, sometimes people say it with good intentions. They want to help us. They want to encourage us. They love us, and they're trying to coach us up. So do we need to listen to this? Do I need to do a little self-check and do a little evaluation here? Uh, the Word of God is, is challenging because it doesn't always tell us what we want to hear, but it tells us what we need to hear. Sometimes the Word of God can be very critical of how I'm living, right? And when that happens, I need to go, man, I must be wrong because the Word of God is always right. So let me do a self-check. Let me, let me look in that mirror and see what do I need to change. Sometimes God will use other people to speak into my life. But, but be careful. Just because someone says they love you or someone says they think this is the best for you, that doesn't necessarily mean their criticism, their perspective is accurate. They might be missing something. They may not be understanding fully what's going on. So what they mean for good might actually not be accurate to what's going on. So we need to be honest with ourselves. Let me look in the mirror. Let me see what's really going on here. Is there any weight or merit to what they're saying? Are there any changes I need to make? Are there any changes I need to make? Don't just dismiss them. Maybe God is using them to speak wisdom into your life. Pray and ask God to affirm what they are saying and by his grace make a choice to change. We see this in the life of Paul. I mentioned it, greatest Christian missionary, but yet we know the story. Him and Barnabas, by the way, the very man that was the first to stand with Paul, they get into a disagreement. It's about whether or not to take John Mark, who we know him as Mark. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. There was a disagreement on whether they should take him on another missionary journey because the first time they tried to take him, he bailed and he left and kind of left them high and dry and said, I'm out, I can't do this. So they get together to go on another trip and Barnabas says, we should bring John Mark because it will encourage him. It will strengthen him. And Paul's basic response is, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for John Mark because he's just going to quit. Where He's just going to bail again, and he's not really committed, is what Paul says. He's not really committed. You know what Paul was saying? John Mark's not as committed as I am. That's what Paul was really saying. I wouldn't quit. I wouldn't bail. But John Mark, he's not really as committed as we are, Barnabas, and so he shouldn't go. And Barnabas decides that he really wants to encourage John Mark, and so Barnabas and John Mark go one way. Paul and Silas go another, and they each have fruitful and productive ministries. But later on, and you can jot it down for time's sake, we're not going to turn there, but 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, we read and find that Paul comes to a conclusion that John Mark is actually committed to Christ, has been fruitful, and is good for the ministry, and actually is a blessing to Paul. So we see here Paul had to make a decision. Initially, Barnabas comes to him, and Paul's no, there's no way. But at some point in his ministry, Paul looked in the mirror, right? And he said, no, you know what? Maybe I'm seeing this thing wrong. Man, look at, what, look at the fruit. Man, John Mark really does love the Lord. Now, some would say, well, yeah, because he produced fruit then. I don't think that was it. I think it was Paul's heart changed towards John Mark. And he made a decision. No, he is fruitful. And basically admitting I was wrong. See, we need to look in the mirror because... It's not always just, well, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. No, maybe God is using that person to speak something into your life. Maybe that is a, a person that God is calling to be a coach in your life to encourage you and help you. But again, it doesn't necessarily mean that's true either. We need to ask God some tough questions, ask ourselves some tough questions, and look into the mirror. 
So once we've looked in the mirror, once we've tried to discern whether or not there's some weight or merit to this criticism, we need to then look into God's word. We need to look into God's word. We need to do a self-check, and then we get into God's word. Why would we get into God's word? Well, we need to discover who we really are. Whenever you're faced with criticism, we need to be reminded of who we really are. When criticism comes and you have evaluated it, believe you know Christ as your Savior, you believe you're desiring and striving to follow him. Uh, By the way, anyone doing that perfect, anyone doing that perfect, desiring and striving to follow him in all things because you're doing it perfect? No, but we desire it even though we don't always do it right. right? We're striving for this thing. We're not going to always get it right. We're not always going to do it perfect, and very rarely will we, but we strive for this, okay? So criticism comes. We evaluate it. We know Christ. We're desiring to follow him. We allow God's word to then affirm who we are in Christ. Do you know why criticism hurts us so bad? Because it challenges us to question who we even are, what I'm really doing. What is my purpose here? Am I really being used in the way that I should be? I'm starting to challenge and question every single thing about me. God's word will help us discern our deepest thoughts and intents. Again, Hebrews 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12. It exposes all of that. And I believe we always read that in a negative sense. That Hebrews 4, 12 opens up about sin and all these things. It will expose those things to us. But I believe it will also expose to us in Christ who we really are in Christ. That he will remind us that we are in Christ and in Christ alone. And therefore, I don't need to fear what a critic will say. So I get into God's word. I've done a self-check. I've really looked into the mirror hard. I've gotten into God's word. I want to discover who I really am in Christ. I find out that, that if I'm saved and I know Christ, I'm his son or his daughter, depending. I'm a saint. I'm a child of God. I am blessed. And by the way, we are blessed because of being in Christ. And why does God bless us in Christ? Not so we can sit back and impress people with how blessed we are, but we can be an example and a testimony of God's goodness and grace that they might come to know Christ. Sometimes we think God blesses us just to bless us, and I believe that God blesses us and encourages us to encourage and bless others. See, we get into God's word to find out who we really are. Don't let the enemy, through words of encouragement, discourage you from who you really are in Christ. We find out who we really are, but then we also find out how to live. How to live. What do I mean by that? We see example after example of how we can live for Christ in the face of criticism. One example that I think of often is what Paul says and really demonstrates in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, we're not going to read all of it, but I want to go there just quickly. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9, we find an amazing example here of some division in the church in Corinth. There was some division going on here. Now remember, Paul's the one that planted and established the church of Corinth. He has since gone on. And he is others that have been again to kind of teach and encourage the, the membership there, the body of Christ there. And he gets down here in verse 4. He says, For while one says, in 1 Corinthians 3, 4, For while one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It says here in verse 7, So then neither is he that plants anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. Now he that plants and he that waters are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. 
for we are laborers together with God. Now, this might strike you, like, how does that apply? How does that fit? Think about this for a moment. Paul's the, the one who planted the church. He established the church. He is the apostle that God has called to reach them. He establishes this church. He leaves. Others are coming in. And now the church is starting to even debate whether we should even follow Paul, listen to Paul. I don't even want anything to do with Paul. I'm of Apollos. He's a better teacher, a better speaker. He's got more charisma. Uh, I like his preaching style. These are all things that we would say in our modern church, okay? Instead of focusing on the fact that it really doesn't matter who's up at the pulpit, it matters what they're preaching and teaching. But, you know, I just don't like that kind of preaching style. He's a little too this or a little too that. Paul's point here is amazing. It'd be really easy to hear that criticism and to get angry. Man, who do you think you are? I mean, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't even know the gospel. Don't you know who? God called me by name. He came to me on the road to Damascus. He chose me by name. He said, I'm going to use you. And you're going to sit there and say that, oh, I'm of Apollos. Who's Apollos? Couldn't Paul very easily turn the tables and say, well, Apollos isn't that great? Let me tell you all Paul, Apollos' failures and weaknesses. But he doesn't get defensive. He doesn't get angry. He knows because he's, he's always looking in. I love the Apostle Paul for always looking in, being honest about where he was before Christ. He knew who he was in Christ. He knew he was confident. He had, he had confidence in his salvation and his relationship with Christ. And so rather than kind of lowering himself to that level, level, look what he does. He actually elevates Apollos, right? And he puts him and Apollos on the same plane. He says, hey, 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 listen, listen, listen. We're all on the same plane. We're all just working in his field. We're all just working in his, we're just doing his labor. I'm no greater than Apollos, and Apollos is no greater than me, but God is the one we should be focused on. Isn't it amazing that when Paul faced criticism, he didn't just, well, who, they don't even like me anymore. He doesn't do that. He doesn't whine and complain. He doesn't get angry and defensive. He just realizes, you know what, God, this is all for you anyway. You gave the increase, so this is your field. This is your labor. I'm just working in this. I just have a hand in this, and I've done my part. I've planted, and, and Apollos has watered, and hey, we're all working on this thing together. That's a great example for us as followers of Christ when criticism comes. We do a self-check. Again, I want to keep saying this. Do not just dismiss it. Do a self-check. But once you've evaluated and you realize, no, I'm in Christ by confidence in God's word. I'm desiring to follow Christ, not perfectly, but I, my heart is in the right place. I'm, I'm striving for these things. I've realized because I've gotten into God's word who I really am in Christ. So I'm not worried about living on the praise of other people or dying by their judgment, right? I know who I am in Christ. I'm confident in my relationship with Christ. So when criticism comes, I don't get angry and defensive. I don't get mopey and complain. Okay, which that's usually where I end up is the mopey and complaining. Okay, just being real. Okay, you ever get criticism and you just kind of instantly just like, you could get seven words of praise, one criticism, and all you focus on is what? The criticism. Oh, I'm a people pleaser by nature. Being in ministry has helped to lessen that in my life. Um, take that as you will. Uh, just, that's tongue in cheek, of course, but. But by nature, I'm a people pleaser. I want people to like me. I don't, you know the worst is when someone doesn't like you and you don't know why they don't like you. That just, oh, that just grinds me, okay? It's like, I, okay, you don't like me, but why? <laughs> then you find out something like, well, you like the color blue, and, you know, I'm just not a blue person. It's like, well, okay, let me change that. No, it's silliness, right? 
So when criticism comes and we know who we are in Christ, we don't lower ourselves down here and get angry and defensive and throw stones and call names. We don't get, you know, discouraged because we remember who we are in Christ. That gives us our strength. Then what we do is we say, you know what? God's in control. I'm going to let God deal with that. If there's something I need to change, I pray that he would change it in me. But if there's something in your heart that needs to change, uh, you know, we just let that leave it in God's hands. He lives out. The Apostle Paul lives out humility because he knows who he is in Christ. So we look in the mirror, we do a self-check. We look in the Word of God to find out who we really are and how to live in response to it. And finally, we look to him for strength. We look to the Lord for strength. Strength to do what? Well, first of all, strength to keep going. Strength to keep going. It's tough to be criticized because you're not doing it their way or to their liking. It can drain you. It can wear on you. But our mission is too important to quit. Your mission as a follower of Christ is much too important, excuse me, to quit because of criticism. Again, self-check. I know who I am. I I live in humility. But you know what? I'm going to keep going. Because this mission, this, this calling is too great to quit because someone else doesn't understand or someone else doesn't like how we're doing it or someone else this or someone else that. The mission is too great for us to quit. And so we don't give up. We don't quit. We pray and we seek him for strength. We must look to him for strength to keep doing what he's called us to do. It's simple. We just need strength to keep going. We look to him to keep going and we also look to him to stay focused. One more verse, one more passage, I should say. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. I want to end here because I find this is such a powerful verse for my own life, and I pray that it would be for you as well. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Do you know why the words of a critic lose their power? Because they didn't author my faith, and they didn't, they're not going to finish my faith. Christ authored, and he will finish my faith. Philippians 1 and verse 6, being confident of not other people, not himself, but of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it, or rather will perfect it, complete it. Right? Christ started something in us at salvation. He began a work in us. Praise God, he's still working on us. Amen? And we're not done. He's not done, we're not done. Okay? We're always being shaped at the image of Christ. Romans 8, 28. Right? Works all things for good. Oh, what's the good? I don't know what the good is. 29, the image of Christ. You don't have to wonder what the good is in a thing that's being worked out. It's always the same good to be made in the image of Christ, which is, again, the most glorifying thing to him. So here we see, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's powerful because what's he doing there? Making intercession for us. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. To stay focused, I need to look to him. I love the word here when it says looking unto or fixing our eyes is another translation. Basically, I'm fixated on Jesus. My attention, my mind, my everything is fixated on him and who he is, not only who I am in Christ, but who he is in my life. Why? Why do we need to fix our eyes on him? We find the answer when we look to Christ and realize all that he endured, right? Isn't that what it says in verse 2? 
despising the shame, right? Endured the cross, despising the shame. Look at verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. This is Christ. Then it says, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Why do I need to look at him? Because when I realize all that Christ endured for me, being innocent and holy, then how can I think that when I endure things from sinners, when I endure conflicts and struggles because of sinners, which, by the way, a sinner is going to sin because it's all they know to do. We don't condemn the sinner and say, I just can't believe. No, don't be surprised. If they don't know Christ, what else do they know? I'm not saying we let them get away with it and there's no responsibility there. I'm just saying we always seem so surprised when someone outside of Christ doesn't act like Christ. That really shouldn't surprise us too because we're in Christ and we don't always act like Christ. So we've got to be careful here that we realize, man, if Christ endured all of that, then when I'm living my life and I endure hardships from others, whether it be in our specific context dealing with criticism, I'm not surprised, I'm not shocked, I look to Christ as my example, and why? The end of verse 3, when I don't consider the reality of what Christ went through and that I myself may go through the same things or similar things, when I don't realize that, I will be weary and I will faint. But when I fix my, fixate my eyes on him and I'm, I'm just focused in on him, then when those things come, I don't get discouraged. I don't lose heart. I don't lose faith. I'm committed to him because I realize he will give me the strength. The critic in your life loses their power over you when you choose to take your eyes off them and put your eyes on Christ. The critic in your life loses their power over you when you choose to take your eyes off of them and put your eyes on Christ. When others doubt our commitment to Christ, we don't just brush them off. We look in the mirror. We ask some questions. We make sure, God, am I really where I need to be? Is there merit in this? Is there weight in this? Then we look into God's word for our identity and and direction. Who am I and how do I live in this life? God, refine me, correct me, me, change me, you know, redirect me in my will. But then we also need to look to Christ to keep going and to stay focused in all that he's called us to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. And as you bow where you are, we're going to have a time of invitation. And the invitation is going to be simple. As you bow your heads right there where you are, the invitation is simply this. If you've made the commitment to be a living sacrifice, if you desire to know Christ more in 2020, you're desiring to be committed to him more, will you make the decision to, to not let criticism from those that want to challenge you and question you and doubt you to take away your commitment, to rob you of your strength, but you would say, Lord, I want to be committed to you and you alone. And when criticism comes, I pray that I would look in the mirror, that I would do the, the self-evaluation, I would ask the tough questions, but then I would also get into your word and realize who am I? And how do you call me to live? See, we're not here to please man. We're here to please God. And as we're living in a relationship pleasing Christ, prayerfully seeking how we can do that, by his grace, of course, in his strength alone, we look to him for all things and we say, Lord, I'm here to please you. And if a critic comes into your life and begins to criticize you and challenge you and and doubt you, don't put your eyes on them. Keep your eyes on Christ. And so maybe you would come as you've made a commitment this year already, and you would say, Lord, give me the strength to keep my eyes on you, not on the critic. Maybe you're here this morning and as you're praying there. Maybe it's something altogether different. 
Maybe you've made a commitment in your finances to dedicate your finances to him this year, and you're already hearing words of criticism. Well, yeah, it won't last. You won't be able to do it. You won't make it. Maybe it's with your wellness. Maybe you've prayerfully challenged yourself and committed to the Lord to get, um, to get healthy, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And, and you're already hearing criticism from people around you. Oh, yeah, it's the same old thing. This is nothing new. You've done this before. Maybe you would say, Lord, give me the strength to not put my eyes on the critic, but put my eyes on you, that you'd give me the strength to keep doing what you've called me to do. Whatever God is leading, I ask that you would just surrender to him this morning. Maybe you'd come and pray, bend a knee, and say, Lord, I'm surrendered to you. Whatever you have for me, I am yours as you are mine. Father, we pray that you would be glorified in all that is said and done. We pray that you and you alone would be the focal point of all that we do this morning. It's all for you. Lord, I know that you will speak through other people's lives that love us and, and desire to challenge us and encourage us as coaches that you've called. And I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for, for men and women in my life that have challenged me to look at things differently, to, to really ask tough questions about my commitment to Christ, not to tear me down or discourage me, but to push me to be more like Jesus. And I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for those that coach and, and share I don't always agree with what they say, and I don't always like what they say, Lord, but I know their heart is for me, and I know that they are, that they are, their intent is that I'd be more like Christ. But, Father, there's also those that were criticized just to criticize because we're not doing it their way. I'm not living it their way. I'm not looking like they wanted to look in, in, in non-biblical areas of my life. And so, Father, for those, I pray that you would help me to not get defensive or angry, discouraged or disappointed, but to know who I am in Christ, to walk confidently, to love those that would criticize me, yes, Lord, but to also make sure, Lord, that I'm, I'm praying for them, that you would do a work in their heart, Lord. I find that people that are overly critical of others, Lord, usually seem to be struggling with something in their own lives, and I pray that you give them victory over that. Help us, Lord, to not be the critical ones. Father, up to this point of the message, it's so easy to just think, oh, yeah, those critics out there, those other people, I pray, Lord, you'd help me to know that I can be critical at times of people, not only of other people, but even of myself. And I pray that we would not be critics of others, but coaches. And I pray that we would use wisdom and discernment as we uh, encourage other people, Lord. May you be glorified in all these things. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? Would you come and pray if God leads? Would you come and bend a knee and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm yours? And I'm all, I'm fixed on you. My eyes are on you. How would you respond to him this morning?